Welcome to Sustainable DAO Non-Fungible Talk, a podcast on everything about DAO and Web3 by the team of Sustainable DAO, which include me, your host, Ling Ling. Our expert guest today is Yi Da Gao, the managing general partner of Shima Capital. Shima is a global investment fund supporting cutting-edge blockchain startups at the earliest stages, mainly focused on seed and pre-seed. On August 17th, Shima just announced a 200 million raise as their fund one backed by crypto heavyweights Dragonfly and Animarca. A big congratulations, Ida. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Could you tell us more about yourself and what led you to the path to start Shima Capital? Yes, for sure. Thank you for having me on. Really, really love to you know, share the experience that we've had at Shima and, and, my, and my journey with you and the audience. So, so yeah, so my name is Yi Gao. I was actually born in China in a small town called Shima, Shima in Chinese. And I came to the States when I was about four and a half years old. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, went to MIT for undergrad and studied math, computer science, econ. After graduation, I worked on Wall Street for a couple of years doing M&A banking at Morgan Stanley. Then I moved over to venture, wanted to cut my teeth investing into you know, fast-growing, exciting tech companies. So I was at NEA, New Enterprise Associates, for a couple of years in their Menlo Park office. Focused a lot of my time in fintech, and that's how I got into crypto in 2015, 16, 17, where I tried to source some deals in crypto blockchain space. But couldn't get any of the deals passed. So after a couple of years left in the end of 2017, I started the first crypto fund, which was called DDC, Divergence Digital Currency. Fast forward to today, we are deploying capital out of Shima Capital, which is more of a closed-ended VC fund focused on Web3 founders versus a DDC, which is more of an open-ended hedge fund. Thank you, Ida. Yes, it's actually quite interesting. So it seems like the past two years, there's a lot of like emerging new fund focus on the blockchain area, including Shima Capital. So what do you see, you know, like drives the waves of this new fund, you know, like during during these two years? And do you see, is it like the same situation in this year? So definitely see a lot of, a lot of new funds kind of getting started. And I think what's, what drove the, this last cycle I think a couple of things, right? One is a start of what's considered like, you know, the DeFi summer where there's massive increase and essentially liquidity through the creation of Uniswap V3, or sorry, rather V2. And from that a simple kind of automated market maker mechanism, you had a, a wealth of DeFi projects that came out of that. And that was what's, what was missing before the, the wave, right, was a liquidity. And there was only certain ways to achieve liquidity before the advent of AMMs, which went through centralized exchanges and, and very slow and expensive decentralized exchanges like Ether dealt before AMMs were created and, and they were not very capital efficient and and so I think that was a major driver. And then, you know, of course, carried through by the mass adoption of NFTs. And so that kind of brought new users into the space that we didn't see before. And because of a lot of this hype, you know, you had the opportunity for investors and funds to, to spring up and, you know, raise capital off of that said hype. Yeah, so what are the key areas capital invested in and why do you decide to distribute the capital in that way? Sure. So at Chima, we're a journalist fund, meaning we invest across all of the verticals within crypto from kind of the infrastructure layer, middleware layer to 
on one end of the spectrum to gaming, NFTs, metaverses, social on the other spectrum, and then everything between DeFi, DAOs. And the reason why we are a journalist fund versus being a, a vertical-specific fund is because of the stage we're investing into. And, and from our perspective, crypto is, er, is early enough where you know, there's a lot of opportunities across this space, but it's also small enough where you can kind of get a grasp on, on all of the different verticals. And, and so those are the reasons why you know, we kind of are a generalist fund. And because we invest in, in the earliest stages, you know, we need to mitigate our, our risk. It's super risky, as you can imagine, right, investing into crypto. So investing across different verticals helps us kind of distribute our risk and have more diversification in the portfolio. You know, if we were a DeFi-focused fund, then we would have missed out on all of the interesting investment opportunities that came about when, you know, NFTs were very, very hot last year. And, and so that's one of the, those are the, some of the main reasons why we are a generalist fund. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you spoke about de-risking. So as we know that you know, blockchain companies, are a lot of them are very risky. So I'm pretty sure you have came across a lot of pitches all the time. So some people say, you know, there's a lot of hypes in the field. So how do you find the values you know, from all the companies that you came across? And what are the core assets that you would look for when you, you know, decide to make investment? Yeah, so how do I find value from all of the types of companies and the Web3 space? What are the core assets right, that we look for? I think you know, value can come in a lot of different ways, but because of the stage that we invest in, most of the value right, is coming from backing the right founders. And I think in crypto, things move at hyper speeds that the idea or the product or even the market may, may change overnight. And so it's really important to, to make sure that you find a lot of value in the, uh, the founders that you're backing at the earliest stages. And I think a lot of the, the projects that may have done well raising capital and maybe even done well in terms of public price of a listed token aren't going to do well in the next 12, 12 to 24 months because this is a time where capital is, is definitely a little bit tighter. The kind of hype has died down. We're in a, in a winter market winter cycle right now. And so a lot of the value will definitely be coming from founders who can build sustainable business models, just like how in traditional Web2 investing, right? In bear markets, you see a, a focus on profitability, on sustainability versus growth and what's considered like the terminal value, right, of, of the company. Similar things are going to happen and mindsets are going to set in for crypto, which is, okay, how do you focus on sustainable business models when it comes to token design, having the right, you know, sinks in place and, you know, you can't just raise off of a strong narrative, I'd say, in, in these markets. Thank you, Ida. So at the beginning, uh, we talked about the recent announcement of Shima's Fund One. From the rumors I've heard, you were targeting only 25 million at the beginning. It was really astonishing to learn that Shima ended up with a 200 million raise, especially given the current economic environment. So what made you decide to take more capital and make a much bigger Fund One? Yeah, sure. We had a hard cap where we were, we were starting to, when we first started the raise, yeah, we were targeting somewhere around 25 to 50, and we ended up raising north of 150 for, for the fund. And I'd just say that, you know, the strategy didn't change. We just moved from being more of follow-on checks, right, writing 
250 to 500k all unchecked for these early stage rounds to leading the rounds, the same rounds. So going from 250 to 500k to one to two million dollars in rounds that were one to three million in size. So still focus on seed pre-seed stage and the same valuations. Typically we can negotiate, you know, better terms as, as the lead as well. So sometimes even better valuations and entry prices, but overall, you know, makeup composition of the portfolio and the stage still stays the same. I think if we raised or have a fund that's much larger than 150, then, you know, you start to come up against needing to go downstream and invest into later rounds because it's hard to have, you know, 200 plus companies in your portfolio if you were only writing 500K to $2 million checks for a fund that's much larger. And so that was actually the opportunity that we saw in the market when we started the fund is that, you know, you, you see a lot of larger funds, either newer funds or ones that have been around a lot in the crypto space, raise hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And so we saw the opportunity to come in and be kind of the first institutional checks into early stage Web3 companies and doing it consistently and, and building out a team to have the right, you know, kind of differentiated value adds from talent to community, building community and, and helping amplify narratives to tech support and helping build product with our in-house tech team that really differentiates us from other early stage funds. Thank you. So would you like to share with our listeners a few investment that you're the most proud of? Sure, sure. So we've been, you know, fairly active in Web3 space, even in this bear market, right? We're open for business, definitely still deploying capital in the space. And and yes, I, let me see, because we're generally fine, there's a lot of different types of companies that we can talk about. So maybe I'll just give a, a couple of, of more recent deals that we've done. And let's see here. We can start with a company that we incubated actually recently called Mag, which is building a Web3 version of Carta, the cap table management company, Unicorn, you know, traditional Web2 space. And thesis here is that just like how there is a massive opportunity for changing the way that you know shares were distributed, stock certificates were distributed to investors and employees in the Web2 world, there needs to be the same type of organizational platform to help Web3 companies and founders distribute vested tokens to investors and employees. So it makes a lot of sense to, to build something for this for the Web3 space, given how many token projects there are out there and no real solution besides, you know, right now, most of the founders are copying your wallet address for the, their employee and putting it in a Google Sheet and, and, and basically setting, you know, a, a, a reminder to make distributions to the to that employee or to your investors in your private rounds. And so there's got to be a better solution. And so we incubated this, this project with a couple of founders who we knew were going through YC, Bruno and Arun, and, you know, they liked the idea and we helped do a lot of the initial product, you know, testing and feedback with a lot of our, you know, existing portfolio companies on if this is a tool that they would want to use, you know, got a lot of positive feedback. And so we decided to move forward and, and you know, kind of build a, a platform with, with this in mind. 
And, and so that's, that's an interesting company that I think a lot of the Web3 founders out there that are thinking about token table management and, and how do you distribute the tokens on TGE, token generation event, et cetera, et cetera, would be, would be interested in, in, in probably could be a good client for uh, Magna. And the website is magna, M-A-G-N-A dot S-O for those of, of you that are interested in learning more. Yeah, I would encourage our listeners to check it out. Yeah. That's a you know interesting one that we've we helped incubate. Another one that we've we've incubated is not too much information about this one just yet, but I'll give you give the listeners here some alpha to watch out for another company that is in our portfolio. Started by a, a dear friend of mine and also a serial entrepreneur. Think of seeing this is a company that is bringing copyright on chain through NFTs. Companies called Trips, T R I P S, and what Trips platform does is it helps creators and people who are creating content and copyright to be able to monetize that in a composable way. So the example would be if you're a YouTube creator and you're creating YouTube videos, you know, there's no easy way to monetize YouTube video besides advertising dollars. And there's no way to kind of bring your, your, your revenues that you will generate from that one video to present day. Right, just like how you have companies like invoice factoring companies or companies that allow you to essentially bring your future revenues to the present so you can take advantage of having the capital now for working capital needs or whatever you may need the funds for. There's no good way to do that for creators online. And and so that's a that's a kind of the start of what Trips is trying to solve for is how do you bring copyrights on chain through NFTs so that you can have more composable ways to, to monetize that, those copyrights? And copyrights can come in a lot of different forms and there's a lot of revenue sources for copyright and you can break it down into a lot of different you know, sources of income. So that's also another piece of the puzzle, right? Is the compos- composability of copyright that exists in, in today's world. It's not really taken advantage of and not really leveraging the power of, of technology and, and more specifically, you know, blockchain technology to kind of make make the the world of copyright much more fluid. And so with trips, once they once they launch as a YouTube creator, you'll be able to take your content, let's say one video, tokenize that video and the copyright of it, that video through the trips platform and be able to, number one, sell you know, those NFTs that represent copyright and represents essentially future revenue streams from the, from the video to your subscribers, to your fans. And then ultimately you can see a world where these, the, you, can, you can bundle these NFTs that represent copyright into a basket and use it as collateral to you know, get, a, get a loan or to sell that bundle of copyright to more institutional investors who are already you know, kind of lending off of copyright or purchasing copyright, but doing it in a very Web2 manner. Yeah, that's brilliant. So basically, you don't need to purchase the copyright NFT to enjoy the music. But if you want to invest or to sell the copyright to someone, then you get the, the NFT, right? Yes. And you can fractionalize that NFT and purchasers could be fans, right? Somebody who enjoys the video or the music that the creator is producing or could be investors. This could be very high quality revenue streams on the road. And the, the hard part is right now being able to, to really package the copyright in a way that's, that's easy transferable and can be very granular. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so we do have see, you know, like a marriage of, you know, NFT or like other blockchain technology with other, you know, industry sectors. So I think you just brought up a very good example. So besides the music or the digital art industry, what other industry sectors do you think would benefit the most from leveraging the blockchain technologies? Yeah, that's a great question. So the one thing I'll just follow up with on what we were talking about with TRIPS is that the NFT, NFT market, right, a lot of it is right now based off of art and profile pictures and what's, what's, what's static or not really functional. I think with TRIPS and future companies that get created that are, that, are, that are using NFTs and all the different standards that are coming out for NFTs outside of the 721, you'll, you'll start to see more functional use cases for NFTs where it's not just a, a picture, but it actually represents streams of revenue or represents access where you're able to use the NFT in a, in a more functional and, and utility-driven way. So that's, that's just one thing I wanted to, to mention as what we see as a, the future of, of NFTs. But other categories that can be disrupted by Web3, I mean, wow, that's very, very broad. One space which is already getting disrupted. It's got a lot of. It's gotten a lot of kind of media attention, especially back in May. Was is, is with stablecoins. I think payments is an area that can be massively disrupted by by crypto. Why is it that you need to wait until Monday mornings to send a wire or receive a wire? And this has been a one of the you know main. I'd say one of the main kind of use cases, low hanging fruit use, use cases for for blockchain technology. Right? Is 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 payments and. and and settlement and being able to transfer value across the world in one second. But it really hasn't taken off outside of the kind of traditional large incumbents, stablecoins like Tether or USDC. And so I think this honing in on stablecoins, I think that's one of the best uses, I think, of crypto because stablecoins is kind of like the lifeblood, right, of, of DeFi and a lot of the different Web3 applications. And I don't think that, you know, having centralized stable coins will be the you know ultimate future. They'll have a place, but we're really interested in finding, you know, different types of mechanisms that can help buttress the stability of any type of stablecoin platform. And also thinking about stablecoins outside of the US dollar. A lot of the, the majority, I would say, of the market cap for stablecoins is in US, you know, but there's massive kind of eco- massive economies outside of the uh, outside of the US dollar. And so we're really interested in and actually recently invested and led it around in a company called CoinFX that is looking to build kind of circle as a service or like minting stable coins as a service for different kind of currencies outside of the US dollar. And I think that's really important for the industry and a great use of a blockchain because it allows for, you know, local economies to flourish and, and really take advantage of one of the main use cases of, of blockchain technologies in their you know, domestic area. And, uh, you know, people who are in, let's say, Mexico aren't really transacting in, in dollars in a, on a day-to-day basis. So having a stablecoin, pesos-backed stablecoin, is, is going to be very, very powerful. And this can be said for, you know, the 190 plus other currencies out there that could benefit from blockchain technology by having a stable coin in their local currencies that can be transacted in, uh, in tw- on a 24-7 basis and settled in the same way. That makes sense, yeah. So yeah, like now we are actually in the bear market. So has Shima Capital take any strategy to deal with the current economic downturn? Yeah, so we are definitely deep in bear market now and I think there's there's still room to, to fall. 
I think we may be in this for you know, the next 12 to 24 months here. And so one thing that we're doing is to really focus on the existing portfolio, right? We've made many investments in, in our fund. And one thing that we're doing is, is doing a health check, right? Financial health check across the portfolio and asking all of our founders, you know, what their runway is, right? How many months before you run out of cash? And doing this survey across the entire portfolio has been super important for us in that identifying the, the companies that have, call it, less than eight months of runway, right? And, and focusing on those companies and helping them, you know, raise additional capital, I think it's one way that we're making sure that our, that our portfolio stays healthy. And this is, this is probably the, the, the main focus, right? The goal for, for a lot of founders is to survive, is, is to survive through the, uh, the bear market. And you need to have capital, obviously, to do that. And so I think survival at our all costs is, is top of mind for a lot of founders. And if not, we make sure that, that to remind them that this is a primary you know, focus. And so that's what we've been spending a lot of our time internally with is just making sure that our portfolio companies that have limited runway, you know, less than 12 months, you know, to, to help them with. And, and, you know, most, most people say that 12 months would be enough runway and you should be worried. But I think in a bear market that we believe could be sustained for a long time, and I think founders should assume that it's, you know, the, the capital that they have now needs to be stretched. And we have to make the assumption that, you know, they're not going to be able to large financing rounds, make large financing rounds be completed in a short amount of time. So you need to have that additional runway. That's, that's one. And then two, I'd say is, you know, focusing more time on incubation. I think right now is a great time to find talent at a reasonable cost, right? Before it was super, super expensive to hire Rust or Solidity developers. I think that cost is coming down a bit, especially as there's you know, massive layoffs at, at companies from large publicly listed crypto companies to, you know, ones that are in, you know, series B, series C plus stages. Incubation seems to be a good, you know, thing to focus on these days because you can get talent at, 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 a, at a great price relative to where we were called call six months ago. And you're able to, if you, if you are able to kind of bring together the right sets, set of people and idea I think it can be super powerful in this time where, you know, everybody's focused on on building. Yeah, exactly. I think a bear market is actually a good time for building. Yeah. So do you have any advice for entrepreneurs or people who want to start a company, you know, during this market? Yeah, I think this this is definitely a, a, a good time to start a company, right? There's the less noise, you, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you can, can find talent at reasonable prices. But on the, on the flip side, right, it's, it's probably harder to raise capital. Before, you, if you had like a 15-page slide deck and a, a, a good BIOS and good experience and founding team, you can raise dollars. Right now, I think investors are a little bit more patient and taking more time with diligence, asking more questions, and, and increasing the bar for the capital because cash is king right now. So it makes sense. They can weather the storm a little bit longer because, you know, there's long time period of investment, you know, it's typically for a traditional VC fund, you have, right? Ten, it's a 10-year fund. You, you have, you know, call it five years or so to make investments so you can wait a couple quarters. So I think for founders, it's a double-edged sword, but right now is a really good time to build and create the team. But it can also be challenging to, to raise. That is the double-edged sword. But I think it also means that if you are able to raise capital in these markets, then probably have 
a much more sustainable and, and higher probability of success than, let's say, raising the same amount or maybe even double the amount six months ago just because of how easy it was to, to raise capital. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so our last question, which is one we would ask our guest speaker. So could you share us, like, what's your vision on the advantage of a Web3 or blockchain technology addressing sustainability issues? Oh, yeah, sustainability issues. Yeah, sure. So we've, yeah, we've invested in a lot of companies that are trying to help solve the carbon emissions you know, problems globally. And some of those investments include ClimaDAO, to C3, to Open Forest Protocol, to Liquidity. And I think what's interesting about crypto is that, one, it's supposed to be very transparent. And two, you know, there are ways to structure governance in a very fair way. Those are the two things I think also are missing in the, let's just call it the carbon credit space, right? Governance and transparency. And so I think Web3 technologies are, could be very valuable for this entire sustainability space for accountability, transparency, and also can help disrupt some of the large incumbents that have had a grip on this space for so many, so many years, if not decades. One example I just mentioned is when it comes to verifying carbon credits, right? It's done by two or three you know, firms that have an oligopoly over what's considered a what's considered a quality carbon credit, right? It's super expensive to have your forest or for your whatever biodiversity score to be judged by a kind of a standard that only exists for the larger kind of project owners, right? Because there are so few of these standard setters that it's, it's difficult for, you know, if you have a smaller project to be, to be verified. And so that is the opportunity that one of our companies, Open Forest Protocol, OFP, and what they're trying to do is, is displace all of the middlemen that are verifying carbon credits and allowing for kind of more of a distributed, distributed mechanism to verify carbon credits. So you have validators that can go and validate, you know, okay, this, you know, kind of plot of of land with all of these trees are emitting X amount of carbon, sorry, rather sucking X amount of carbon from the atmosphere. And, and that validation process is done in a very distributed way will we'll decrease one, the cost of validation of and verification of the, the plot of land, but it also creates this economy where you can have very, very clear and transparent kind of movement of that credit from the, the time that it's created to the time that it's kind of sold and, and traded all through the entire kind of provenance of that credit. And so OFP is, is, is a company that's built on top of NIR and they're about to launch their product soon. They have a couple, they have probably 10 plus projects that they have in their hopper ready to go. And it'll be a really interesting project to follow to see if they can really disrupt this massive, massive market that's surprisingly only kind of governed by two or three large bodies that are taking and taking majority of the of the margins and, and not really leaving enough for the project owners for carbon projects or other individuals that can be involved or entities that can be involved in the validation process. Yeah, that's very exciting. Yeah, so I think that's all the question we have planned for you, Ida. Thank you very much for your time. I think our listeners will learn a lot from, you know, from from today's interview. Yeah, thank you for your time, Lin, and pleasure to be here. And thanks for having me on the show. 
Thank you so much for joining this episode of SustainerDAO Non-Fungible Talk. This show is brought to you by SustainerDAO, a decentralized protocol that promotes social progress, environmental balance, and economic growth with blockchain technology. I'm your host, Clarice Chiu. And I'm your host, Ling Ning. If you like the content, subscribe and give us a follow on Twitter at SustainerDAO. We also have premium content, including blockchain research, member-exclusive events, and more with NFT Pass Access. For more information, please visit our website, diesel.org.